0: welcome to Motopod, the internet radio show all about motorcycle road racing this is episode number 723 i'm back jim mcdowell here hosting along with richard jill in the uk richard good evening sir
1: good evening jim nice to have you back
0: i hope you enjoyed your holidays i did it was very restful uh very relaxing definitely very good time off shout out to martin for guest hosting with you really appreciate that martin thank you very much i thought you had some interesting views, and I really enjoyed what you guys uh, talked about. It was very interesting given the whole history of the first sprint. <clears throat> I almost said sprint race. I would have been fined, like Simon Grafer yep. was. Can't of say course. that. Can't call it's it. It's not a race. It's not a race. It's sprint. <laughs> There's a difference, people. But, Burton, thank you very much. Appreciate you uh, stepping in there. And uh, hopefully you'll enjoy this one with uh, Rich and myself for the yep. second one. So, <laughs> with that, uh, I'd like to thank all of the donors and subscribers to the show through PayPal, Keith Kovac, Dick Saban, and Alan Fleming, and the people on Patreon, Gary Shavit, Steve, Monk, Paul Lang, Hudson Kai Cooper, Darren Andrews, Rob Fritas, Kyle Clark, Jacob Rohr, Jeremy Burnich, and Dennis Kindig. Really appreciate everybody who puts something into the pot, helps the show tremendously. If you have the ability to throw a little money our way, please do, it's very easy to do. There's links on our website, www.motopodcast.com and you can subscribe to the show that way. If you can't, that's great. But if you are downloading the show, if you could leave a review for us wherever you get your podcast from, it will help us get more views and more people and attention. And that would be greatly appreciated as well. So the big thing is this weekend. But before we get to that, let's do a little uh, listener feedback that has showed up here from previous. So this is from Lee. And he says, uh, talking about the incident with Mark Marquez and the penalties that all were incurred from Mayo, He says that uh, I've never been accused of being a Marquez fan, though in the beginning I admired his skill, luck, and heroics. I think everyone admires that man's skill, to be quite honest. I think that's a a given. We may not like his attitude around it, but his skill is undeniable for sure.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, He
0: said he bought some of the merch in 2014 or so. He's always been a Rossi guy uh, in Rossi's who brought him to MotoGP. And he also says that he tries a Toyota, so that rooting for a Honda was just not possible for him. So uh, and he gets, uh, he goes on a little bit, uh, a little bit else. But the, the the big point is here, he says, bottom line, Marquez is reckless. Uh, as a stoner said of Rossi, uh, your ambition outweighed your talent, that which is a classic. Apparently, as Martin said, that was a, that's a very familiar Aussie term. Yeah, I didn't know that. I, I never knew yeah, yeah. until there. So it was all there. Uh, he says he says that the crash could have been a career ender or worse for Martin if he couldn't have navigated around it. Uh, Oliveira was also there and could have been a career ender the way that Marquez did plow into him. Uh, Oliveira, was, he was also mad that the red flag had not been out when it was obvious that Oliveira could not be moved in time before the bikes came back around again. Uh, but, you know, the thing is, it, he says that how... The apologizing was was sort of for show and that Pugh had told Mark to go down there and you know get the camera make sure the cameras see you and whatnot and that's very that's very possible although I I don't think that if you look at the expression on Mark's face and how he was in the post-race press conferences talking about that I think he really was apologetic for the incident here
1: yeah but I, he wanted, I...
0: but uh, I think it more here is like it's into the penalty so he says, my proposed change to the penalty schedule. If you're deemed responsible for a crash that's not labeled a racing incident, irresponsible riding, and affected rider is hurt, you sit out until that rider is deemed medically fit. So, in other words, Marquez shouldn't be allowed back on the bike until all of ours is declared fit to race again next. He says, let's take it back to uh, Hammer an eye for an eye. Uh, what well, we don't want to punish the team or the manufacturer, then they can replace the rider after one round with their test rider or someone else so that they can continue scoring points. They still need to feel some pain and therefore their thumbs on the riders, not to be uh, Richard craniums on the track. I love that. I I will steal that <laughs> from now on Lee, because I think that that's positively brilliant. So he asked us what, what is, what is our thoughts on this one? So I, I think, I had replied back and I said that I think Marquez should have had a one race band. I've backed off of that. I was sort of in that moment of the emotion of what happened. And I thought it was extremely reckless. Now, part of the reason I thought it was reckless was Marquez is riding on a motorcycle that we know is not capable of being at the front or even near the front yet somehow through sheer will and determination, he has put that motorcycle there. So from that standpoint, you know, he was my thinking originally was he was riding over his head he missed his brake marker and he plowed everybody in a spectacular way now having sat back thought about that a race ban was probably not worth it was not worthy of a race ban uh you do you think it was rich
1: i think it's borderline it's close i will not i will go with you on he that almost one. did the same thing on the first couple of laps I forget which lap this happened on it was either third or third I think it was so I think it possibly on the first or second lap he kind of lost the front there again you know going into that very same corner I don't know I lament the fact that they I think they got rid of the points system whereby you would accrue a certain number of points for that kind of incident and therefore you were punishing repeated bad behavior within a certain period of time and I personally think that's the right way to handle this whole issue irrespective of who it is what class it is i just think that if you continually do stuff that's a bit dumb ass and marquez does have a reputation for this let's be honest throughout his entire career um certainly from 125 motor 3 motor 2 anyway then you would ultimately get a, a race ban if you kind of hit 12 points or whatever the point system would be I, i'm pretty sure they used to have this and then they, they got rid of it and they gave did. it to the kind of the <clears throat> excuse me the the stewards and stuff but you know those well, a, a kind of worms
0: a, there. there there's a flaw in a point system because mm-hmm. if the point system is 12 points which is what it was at 12 points you receive a race ban guess what everybody was running up to the 12 point limit and then didn't do it anymore so it was like having let, let's say each incident was would be three points just for easy mathematics. That means you could do it three times. You'd have three three really bad incidents and you got away with it with no penalty whatsoever. So I believe that is why that was taken away and they Mm -hmm. came to this immediate justice of long lap penalties or drop one position or take your pick of whatever flavor penalty they feel is imposed now.
1: Yeah fair enough I mean there isn't a perfect system there is no, no. perfect solution mm-hmm. to this problem I suppose is kind of where we're going to land isn't it um so back to your original question I'm probably not quite a race ban I'm kind of with you but it was pretty close because I mean he'd have the warning signs but the counter to that as you said Jim is that he's having to do things with that bike to get it to where it is and that is going to be unfortunately the result of it I mean he injured himself, so he wasn't in Argentina, as we'll come on to shortly. Um, the bit that's kind of more distasteful, I actually think his uh apology and you know the contrition that he showed, I think it actually was quite genuine. If you remember, he went back on at least two occasions to Oliveira after he'd hit him, so I think there was genuine concern about what damage he'd done to him at that point. So I'm pretty sure. You know, I think Mark's a pretty nice guy. I mean, like all of these people, they're great off the bike or out of the car. You know, they just grow a set of horns when the lights go green. You know, that's kind of what's needed in a way. What's more distasteful is what happened through HRC. And then, you know, the stewards screwed up, as usual, in the wording of the penalty, which then allowed HRC to launch this protest, which is ongoing. Correct. That hasn't been resolved yet. So yeah, I don't know the... if we're going to get into that. That's yes, kind of that's a, a second issue, part. But... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the second
0: okay. part of these questions is is this the penalties and then this. So, yeah, if you want to go with your take on that penalty or the appeal, I should say, of the penalty, please give me your take and then I'll
1: try to give my take. To try and sort of slim this down a little bit because we could literally spend a show on the whole I issue could, yeah. of rider behaviour and penalties and blah, blah, blah. But so I think what happened was Marquez was served the long lap penalty to be taken, in, sorry, double long lap penalty to be taken and it said at Circuit of the Americas by next race, he then has to withdraw from that race because of his hand. I think he broke a finger or something. Done. And HRC say, okay, great. So he doesn't have to serve the penalty then because he's not going to race at Cota, uh, which is where the penalty was to be served. So the officials, let's just say, I don't want to get my terminology wrong on this, basically reissued the penalty to take out reference to it being at Cota and just to say the next round in which he would compete which is what it should have said in the first place. But HRC are now challenging that through the Court of Appeal, Sporting Court of Appeal, because they say, and I don't know if this is to the letter of the law correct or not, they say that the officials can't just arbitrarily change a decision that they've already made. So this one's going to run and run a little bit. And I don't think that this has anything to do with Mark Marquez, to be honest. I think this is quite typical of the way HRC tend to go about things Uh historically so that's kind of where we're at with the specifics of the Mark Marquez thing in terms of what should happen to teams and riders that do get taken out or, I don't know I, I just don't I think it would be so hard to manage what Lee's suggesting in terms of a the guilty party and that's a subjective thing straight away as we find with all of the penalties that get meted out some rightly some wrongly in our view I just don't I think it would create so much friction and trouble that i think it would almost be completely unworkable and the teams are commercially or contractually rather obligated to put a replacement rider on a bike after one round has been missed i believe jim does that sound right that's correct so that kind of already is there although obviously you're into the discussion then about well who are they putting on the bikes and we'll come to that a little bit later on because there are some replacement riders that have been nominated now for Cota to, to take up mm-hmm. uh the duties of people that are out sort of slightly longer term injured. So yeah, that's kind of my take. So I do not have an issue with Honda appealing
0: this penalty. I could, to make it succinct, go find David, David Emmett's Twitter feed and go, if even better, go to his website,
1: Yeah, Yeah. yeah.
0: He has a great write-up about why this appeal had to be done. And, And I agree with what David is saying because if if the stewards are now allowed to randomly change what they have, you will have anarchy. Mm -hmm. He cites several examples of why we need to have this appeal and figure out what's what because let's say that you do some sort of irresponsible riding within two laps from the end of a sprint race. You can't do a double long lap penalty now because the race has been completed before the stewards have been able to make their decision. So when is that penalty apply? Does it apply to the race on Sunday or to the next sprint race? We don't know. And it's not written down anywhere. And he has another long laundry list of all of these things that are there that are all things that teams don't know. So this is the first opportunity the teams have to say, look, we got to figure this out because you've now suddenly just jammed a whole nother i was gonna say race but a sprint (laughs) into the weekend and we don't know what happens if you attain a penalty there does it go to the next sprint or is it the very next race no one knows so i think there's going to be a lot that will be figured out by all this and i'd much rather have a consistent rule book across the board that we know exactly what things are going to be able to be done. If you write into the rule book, if you attain a penalty in an accident and you are injured and cannot partake, your penalty will be applied to you when you're able to partake again. If you, then it's clear. It is yeah. clear and we yeah. do not have an argument going.
1: And let's so just to be honest, fun. Jim, the stewards in writing that original penalty and specifically naming the Circuit of the Americas, but we just. Oh, Argentina. Oh. You're, you're. Argentina. Sorry. I beg your pardon. It was just so stupid to have done that because mm-hmm. it opened the door for a challenge like this now you uh, my first instinct was to think well this is very cynical on the part of HRC but I also do accept and take on board the comment that you know pushback needs to be made in a situation like this because it's so out of control that it almost brings the sport into a form of disrepute really at a time when they're trying to make it more appealing to people but if you have all this sort of levels of confusion going on uh, how is anybody really to get invested in it that's really the bigger issue i see that comes out of all of this so it does need to be dealt with and pretty quickly really yeah it needs to be
0: settled and done for so that's sort of our answer to all this lee yep appreciate the feedback in the comments hopefully everybody else thought it was nice as well with that rich i say we go on to a quick bit of news uh moto gp there is a new chief commercial officer at dorna dan I have trouble with names, but Rosamondo? Yeah, I guess that's how you say it. R- yeah. Rosamondo. Yeah. Rosamondo. So he's from the NBA, like the National
1: Basketball Association here in the States? Really? Yep. That's interesting. Yes. Hmm. Not part of the Espaletta, uh clan. I- hmm. I'll choose my words carefully there. Yes. They've gone outside, <laughs> gone outside the family to um, bring in a hmm. very important person. Again, just referring to the point we just made about you know the sport having a not 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 an existential crisis in terms of where it's going from here. Cause you know, they've brought in the sprint and I think that's proving to be pretty good. I mean there's obviously a few things that need to be sorted out, as you just mentioned, but mm-hmm. the biggest thing which is my They opinion, do need to bring more
0: pans in. Yeah. The biggest thing that's wrong with the sprint race is the riders don't know where to go for the podium. <laughs> yeah. And it's th- not a race. Do you- yeah, correct. So I, I, I'm like, you don't have a writer's meeting where you can instruct everyone? Hey, guys, at this track, we're going to park on the main straightaway on the start-finish line, face the crowd, and award medals. Okay. Hey, guys, at this track, we're going to go down into turn one because everybody's going to be there. So we're going to stop down there and award the medals.
1: It's a little bit like we've had to comment in the past on other initiatives it's you know good idea in principle piss poor in execution I mean execution's I think that's, bad, yes yeah I mean but those things can be ironed out I think the sprint is pretty good but the, the weekend schedule overall I think I personally think is an improvement I know the teams and the riders it's different for those guys and that's um quite a challenge the one thing I do have a bit of beef about is what they've done with morning warm-ups on the Sunday I have to say, I don't think that that's proven to be very good value for money because this rider parade thing appears to be a complete non-entity from what I've seen from the first two rounds. So I think people would rather see the bikes out, and I'm sure the riders on the teams would rather get a bit more practice first thing in the morning. I mean, even MotoGP only gets 10 minutes, which is not very much. So anyway, I'm sure they can tweak some of this stuff, but hopefully this chap that's come in, I'm, I'm assuming he's American. Yeah, um, I have no idea. I do not follow
0: basketball here in the States, i right okay, clue.
1: But, you know, it's a new person, new ideas, obviously very successful to have got that job. Apparently they were scouring the globe to fill this position for quite some time. So he's obviously comes highly recommended and highly paid, I'm sure. So hopefully he will help to address the ongoing issues that they have of how to attract more, and I suppose younger viewers, attendees, et cetera, et cetera, because we know that that is an area... Of, of problems although they could be doing a lot more in terms of their pricing strategies to help themselves out there but that's a, another discussion yep so world superbike had testing
0: at portomile and herath so it looks like hrc is making progress with Lakawana because he's just a whisker slower than bautista so and the next round is in acid in 21st and 23rd of april so good to see yeah. honda at least improving something
1: Yes, I mean, that is one piece of good news for HRC, it must be said, because Bautista, who was, it won't come as a great surprise to anybody, fastest in the Barcelona test that's just happened, he was on lap record pace, but Lecrona was in like a couple of thousandths or a couple of hundred, I mean, really, really close. So HRC, who are getting these super concessions, Clearly, are making quite good progress at the moment. So, But there's this big kind of six-week layoff between uh, Philip Island and Assen, so hence they've shoehorned two official tests in. There um, So, yeah, that's just a quick bit of news on World Superbike, but, yeah, they'll be racing again in, what's that? Uh, Here's up with the BSB, Rich. Yeah, so that kicks off at Silverstone this coming weekend. Um, they've had two tests in the UK, but both of them were pretty wet and windy affairs, so I don't know that that would have done people... A huge amount of help in terms of their preparation for the season to come but it's a very big field of riders there's been lots of rider changes and team changes so i mean bsb goes without saying it's going to be exciting i might try and get along to silverstone on saturday uh this weekend i've, I've got some family commitments on the sunday but uh depending on what the weather's up to good old british weather it looks as if it's going to be reasonably fine so we'll see if we can get along and start the uh start the year's coverage of bsb up on the right foot yep um, you all probably know,
0: remote America fans, know there was a big controversy at the Daytona 200. Uh, me being on holiday wasn't exactly able to get anything on that. I do want to try to see if I can get a hold of Scott Bolton and get like a little conversation of that and maybe drop that into the next show that we do. If we go longer, it might be its own show. So we'll, we'll come back to that, guys. Yep. And finally, the Northwest 200 is back on now because I guess given everything that is uh going on with insurance slash yes uh, i i know it's an insurance deal uh i guess coverage or medical coverage for riders and whatnot as i guess it's it's, very complicated as far as i can tell
1: yeah i mean these are huge events you know they occupy a huge amount of space they're on public roads obviously the roads are closed but you know they are aligned with the public and it's a public liability insurance Mm. nightmare um various factors part of which is down to things like brexit for example i'm sure that has played a big part Uh, but i'm sure also it's a kind of it's a bit of an open goal for you know financial institutions that want to make a a bit more coin on some of these things so initially premiums for the running and it's not just northwest it's the entirety of the irish road racing scene i don't think the tt has been caught up in this no because it's its own independent yeah is it is it a
0: state or country what is it republic territory i will have to get a badge on you on that. It. It, it's a
1: specific <laughs> thing it's not a principality uh, i'll have okay, to come back on that i should know should that's know, what so. i was i
0: was thinking principality that's what i was we're trying to come up with as principality yeah because it's its own thing i'm, I'm going to
1: look it up in a minute but no the <laughs> tt fine. i don't believe was caught up in this but i don't want to call it a fiasco that's not the right terminology but anyway long story short sure. it appears to be the case that a solution to this insurance problem has been found which is going to allow certainly the northwest to take place at the end of may i think it's it's a couple weeks before the tt right it's always the one maybe it's a bit maybe it's the early part of may middle Um, part or something and hopefully that will then mean that some of the other well-known irish road races will also get a reprieve this year because if they trouble is if these events don't happen for a couple of years you can pretty much write them off as ever ever coming again and that's you know, not something that we want to see in terms of the real roads. So, yeah, hope, hope has emerged at last on that one. All right.
0: Well, let us crack on to Argentina, much like the teams having, having gone directly from Puerto Mayo to the Southern Hemisphere and into Argentina. Well, let's just kick it off with the Moto3 race. Now, the Moto3 race was declared a wet race. They had qualified in the dry, and it left us with Sasaki, Anchu, and Moreira being the front row that's there that once had a great start in this race he was super aggressive like he was inside outside left right he was going everywhere where uh while morea had actually taken the lead sasaki went backwards from the front row a little bit lost a few Mm. places but that's the rain it's all about feeling being able to develop that feel or whatever as you go through but the star of the show at the beginning of the race was uh almanza almanza who is substituting for kelso in the cf moto team if i have that correct i believe i do He's the second Grand Prix. Yes, that's correct. Yep. And and he was up 14 places to 11th in one lap. Amazing. The kid was he's 17, so I'm going to use kid, and it's going to correct this time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he was moving there. Now, Morera ran wide, and so that allowed Anshu to get through, and he fell back like eight places in that one mistake. Anshu was out front pulling away. And I thought, okay, Anshu is going to finally do it. He's going to get, but break the duck, get that first race win. He's in the proper team. He's in with Io. And it's, hopefully he'll get over the mental hurdle that he's too big for the motorcycle. Because I personally don't think he is. I don't think there's a thing wrong with being his size and riding a Moto3 bike. I'll point to the fact that Jack Miller was probably about that big when he was on a Moto3 bike. And Jack Miller won races was on the podium. Now, he didn't win races at the fast tracks, Magello, Asin, but he was at the front. Mm-hmm. There's no reason Anchu can't be there either. So if he's using that as a crutch, that's a mental issue that IO needs to, to work out with him on that. Al- Almanza was still going gangbusters as he was ripping through the field. So he was up to 11th. He still was charging. The kid was up to like 5th or 6th when Anchu threw it away at turn 11. Literally just gone. Front end folded up. Too much break on a wet track you had at that point I think it was over a half of a second I think that Anchi was ahead I we don't get to see the boards I didn't see an on board of Anchi going past his last pit board but you th- we thought they'd give him like a plus five in a hold steady or easy or maintain kind of a thing as opposed to him still looked like he was pushing now whether he lost a bit of concentration for that split second on the brakes which is very possible in the wet, you're always chasing that track in the wet. I, I can't really begin to describe to you anybody who's never raced a motorcycle in the rain, just how on edge you actually are lap after lap after lap searching for it, it is extremely difficult. And even the best of the very, very best do crash. So it, it isn't unlikely it's just on you has a, a chance for falling off or doing things, when he's in the lead that he shouldn't do rich you know
1: it was it was the best and the worst of dennis Onchu in three laps wasn't it i mean <laughs> elbows much. elbows right out all sorts of moments the first couple of laps as you say pushing really really hard to make the break which halfway around that third lap he was probably getting on for three quarters of a second to a second in front i would say at that point and yeah just tuck the front so i mean very early into his career at Io but that's not the sort of thing that Aki Io will want to see because you know he just needed to ease himself into that race because he went down on lap three it's not as if they had a lot of time to show him a board really to say calm it down he was just going use your term absolutely gangbusters and was doing a good job but that's no good if you end up in the kitty litter after three laps so yeah obviously trying to make up for lost ground if you think about his race Jim at the first round in Portimao where he for whatever reason he stalled or the engine cut on the grid so he came from the pit lane And I think he finished 10th in the end. Great ride. You know, just really, really fast throughout. Consistent. Obviously trying to make up for, you know, things not going right at the first round and was doing well all up until the point in which he buried himself in the gravel. So yeah, just a bit, you know, it was my pick for the race win as well. So maybe it was my fault. Yeah, well, you got one of those picks, right? True.
0: (laughs) (laughs) One One out of three is not bad, Rich. Not bad. Yeah. Uh, with Anju going down, that left Suzuki in the lead after all the jostling and whatnot. Suzuki was actually out front by like 1.1 seconds. Almanza was just on the gas, kept it going, and he was in second at this point in the race. Uh, Sasaki and the CF Moto boys then went into, or sorry, uh, Artigas was then following Almanza to the front because that's his teammate. He was certainly. Didn't want to be sewed up by a kid who's racing his second ever Grand Prix. But they also kind of picked up Sasaki along the way. And those three guys had a knockdown, drag out, ding dong, pass, repass, pass back battle that was actually really fun to watch. They were going at it, a lot of it was very clean uh Amons is very good on the brakes he has a very good feel on the front end sort of kind of a la pedro acosta i was gonna say bit. did it remind you of anybody yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. very all oh, into five each time i thought wow that was acosta-esque going yeah. in there smooth clinical surgical i you i don't know pick a pick an adjective out of those they're they're really really good Um uh, maria Morera, meanwhile who had been leading had been all the way down to 10th at this point uh, Sasaki uh, and Kato and were had or sorry. Sasaki then got by to get to second as Suzuki was now starting to slip away out front. He had built himself up a couple of seconds. It was starting to get away. I think Sasaki recognized this and he really needed to get going with it. So Sasaki did put a little bump on uh, Amanza as they were going through the. Uh, Five, I don't remember which one it was. But it was a very small bump, and it just set up Almanza just a little bit. Didn't really throw him off. It was just, hey, kid, I'm here, kind of a move. And suddenly we get told Sasaki has to drop one position because of that infraction. Uh, I'm like, boo on the stewards here. Yeah, ridiculous. That one was absolutely... absolutely Given what else happens later on in the race and in the other races, yeah. that was ridiculous. I, I'm like, you got to figure out how you're going to call these things, guys. And there better start to be some consistency because people are going to explode over this because yeah. that was the worst drop one position penalty I've ever seen. Because there are other people who were racing who if you're going by that measure needed to be placed back one place, or given a long lap penalty for irresponsible riding. If we're going to call it that tight, that's fine. Let's just be consistent about it. So we're already ranting about officiating again this year as much as that yeah. is, right? It's yeah, poof, and, you know,
1: wow. it kind of leaves you with the view that you're going to get a penalty just for doing an overtake at this rate. Because if that was a penalty worthy the offense, you know, at the slightest little touch – also, within the context of a damp, very tricky track, so easy to make a mistake, particularly when you're breaking down into a hairpin turn off a very long back straight like that. So it, it was nothing. I don't think, um, to be fair to him, I don't think uh, David Almanza would have had too many gripes about it, either, if he'd been asked at the time, which obviously he couldn't be. But So, yeah, it, and it had big implications for Sasaki, as you were about to tell us. Yeah.
0: So that forces Sasaki to drop back. He puts Alzamanza back ahead of him. or taller then crashes at turn two. Suzuki's gone now. Now, because of this penalty and dropping back, Suzuki's seven seconds up the road, which is like a lifetime in a Moto3 race, even a wet Moto3 race, let's be fair. And so now Suzuki then has got the hurry up to try to get back up there. So he winds up high-siding himself out at the turn 13, 14 complex. So you've got the the breaking into the turn 13. Sasaki was riding a very tight line was doing it all the race, and he just got on just that little bit much, that little bit too much fra- too much throttle, fraction more, loses traction, tosses himself over the high side, and then he wound up having to park the bike because it was very much in a state of disrepair that it was definitely not capable. But did you notice, Rich, when he walked back to his pits, did you see his helmet? I uh, didn't take particular note of his crash helmet. No, very big sc- scratch on what would have been above his left. Uh, Right, yeah. okay. A right or left uh, eye, you know, above the visor. Very mm-hmm. big mark where he had smacked it, obviously, right. to scratch the paint and then go. And I had to back it up a couple times because I caught that. I was like, well, that doesn't look that like should be there. And Rain on camera
1: lenses and stuff did make it look I'm like, no, that, that's a scratch. He smacked his head. I
0: mean, Another mean...
1: significant crash helmet incident that we mustn't forget to mention uh, in the other classes, which I'll try and keep a mental note okay. to, uh, to come back to that. But what was my immediate thought Jim and I'm wondering what yours was with the high side that Sasaki had did was your immediate thought that his rhythm had been completely interrupted and that he's probably fuming and it just broke his yes. concentration and led, led him to crash 100% that, that ridiculous drop one place
0: again I, I I'm trying to think of a way to describe kind of what's happening in a rider's mind when you're mm. when you're riding in the wet like this and the only way I can kind of describe it is like get out on a dual, dual way, the interstates here in the United States Audubon Germany okay Take your, take your car, start trying to drive your car 80 miles an hour through all the mist of all the other cars. Try to dodge between the big trucks, the lorries, the arctics, get there. And then while you're doing all this, keep on your rear view mirror because supposedly, let's say there's like a policeman trying to catch you, right? So you don't want him to catch you. So you're trying to get through all that. Then let's add in a warning light that shows up on your dash of your car that says there's a problem with the engine. That's overload. You, you have all of that going everywhere, and you you become overloaded. So Sasaki, he may have not been as overloaded, but he did get overloaded. That was one thing he didn't need on top of what he was doing. He's, hmm. as you said, Rich, in a rhythm. He's got it going. Now he's got a dash blinking drop one position. Okay, so he's, he takes the look. He looks and then rolls off. He lets Alzheimer back in, and then he tries to get right back into it again. Now you have to find that rhythm again. Some guys will fall right back into that real quick, real easy. It's easier to do that on a dry track than on a wet track. And so I think it did disrupt him. I do think it did contribute to his crash. And I will stand by that statement. Yeah, well, He might might not say, no, it didn't have any effect on me, but I think it did.
1: And I'm sure it did because, you know, he's not there to finish second. He's there to win. And by having to drop that one place, which I'm sure he would have felt was a very unjust penalty that he'd been given suddenly he's got another two or three seconds to make up on suzuki out front so he's going to push harder and that's the result of having to push harder so it was just yeah wrong in my view and particularly as you're going to say in a minute jim in view of a couple of other incidents in the very same race and that's the very next thing
0: masia who had who has been quiet has now nudged his way past almanza and gets into second That knock was no worse, no worse than the knock that Almanza got from Sasaki. Yet, Masia did not receive the same penalty. Yeah. Absolutely ridiculous. Bizarre. I I do not know what race they were watching at that point. Uh, Munoz, Mino, and Holgardo are now going quick. And they make their way to the front. We have a Leopard 1-2. And Munoz works works his way to third. Masia then crashes and throws it away. I'm like, I, I don't know what... You know, again, tricky conditions. I think by this point, the rain had let up somewhat. So you had a drying track. And I think some people were trying to push on and push harder. But you've got a worn wet and on a drying track, which they do tend to get hot. And then they get squishy and the feel goes away. So it does happen. To everybody, uh, Artigas, Munoz, Marrera, and Almanza all are battling for second. Hogardo Har- has now made it up to Mino, so he's to that point. Uh, then Munoz, uh, they fall, Munoz falls at turn 13. Moreira and uh, Almanza, they're all still battling, and that's an awesome, those last five, six laps of those guys going at it was great. Uh, you know, the thing of it was that uh, we did get down to the end where Scott Ogden then ran and cleaned Almanza out of a podium position. And you know what? That crash was worse than the other one because it did put Almanza down, right? The poor kid looked like a pinball, but was in the middle of a pinball machine for most of that race. Yeah, but you got Ogden had, and if you watch the replay from inside of the turn. Ogden went really late on the brakes because it was starting to dry. However, I think the front on um, his front had was worn enough where it was starting to become squishy. It locked momentarily. It's a split second. He does what anybody does in that instance. You instinctively, reflexively, will let go of the brake because yeah. you want the wheels to turn again. It's the front. And as soon as he did, he was into he was into Almanza. He never got a penalty for it, and I I don't think that that's wrong. That hit hey, okay. The Ma, the Macia one was, or he he, sorry, penalty, did he, he did get a penalty,
1: Jim. He did
0: get a, race? Did he? he got a, oh, I
1: got that wrong then. I'm sorry, he, folks. I, they gave him a time penalty equivalent to a long lap hmm. uh, after the race, which dropped him one position in the overall standings. So he did get penalized for that. And I think he'd be the first to accept that he, as you said, he locked the front and he hit another rider. So that one, you'd say, okay, fair enough, because Armanza did go down, uh, what would have been a very good point scoring position in his first ever race in the full yeah. moto three world championship so yeah but but scott that was a great race i thought from scott and yeah, he was there in that second group the whole race and was just biding his time and making moves in that crucial last few laps as you said and just made that one little mistake which i'm sure he put his hands up to um but overall yeah great wasn't it really fantastic motor three race yeah. other than you know the stewards interfering and getting things wrong again yeah uh, and so unfortunately, no- for dawn's point of view, and uh, I just need to go back to the notes so I get this right. Uh, Dan Rosamondo, if you're listening, this can be your first task is please, when <laughs> you have a Moto 3 race as good as that, and what we're talking about is penalties and non penalties and what the stewards have been up to yet again, you've got a public relations problem and you need to sort that out. So hopefully they'll find a solution to this because it really does undermine the quality of the racing. Yep. So, uh, Suzuki wins. Then it was Morera and then Mino for the podium. So it was yeah. a great race. Great one. And return race. for Mino as well, who was in, we didn't say, but he was in for the injured uh, Falon. That's, who's, yes. Who's so the- we have riders injury.
0: injured everywhere and
1: subs yeah. everywhere, and it's yeah.
0: pretty crazy
1: for sure. So, I'm wondering, <laughs> the only other thing I was going to say, Jim, just in terms of David Almanza, who, although he got knocked off at the end, you know, did everything that he could have hoped on the show. Oh, sure. this is amazing. The kid a full time ride. He's, He's going to be on some ride. shopping lists, isn't he? And I tell oh, yeah. you what, I bet Joel Kelzo's ankle's feeling a hell of a lot better at the uh, minute because he will uh, want uh, to be back on that bike as soon as possible.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: that, that kid's got some talent. Yeah, it, him and
0: him and Rueda are definitely talented kids,
1: very much so. Yeah, although Rueda clearly hasn't spent a lot of time running in the wet in Spain no. because he <laughs> no. was really yeah. nowhere to be seen at all in yep. that race but you know he's already shown what a stellar talent he is at the first round
0: mm-hmm.
1: Well, with that uh shall we head to moto two yeah
0: moto two uh for the american fans out there shout out to sean dylan kelly who actually made it to the second round of qualifying i was very pleased that he had actually did that now yep. this is where the weird the wild happens I and mean, we haven't even started the race Because this this race was scheduled to be 21 laps long, it was shortened to 14 laps. Because the riders did not have a wet session during the week for them to ride their bikes in.
1: I don't know how you feel about that one, Rich. Um, Again... uh... I don't understand that decision one tiny little bit because most of these guys have ridden a bike in the wet before. Uh, by the time they're in Moto Two, they should have some experience. And whilst, but did Moto Three have any wet sessions prior to race they, day?
0: They their their qualifying was wet. Okay, because it dried. We had wet qualifying going through, but it was drying to where Moto GP was on slicks at the end and then
1: moto two was on slicks as well i'm mean, right at the very end of it i think i'm correct in saying that they gave the moto two guys two or three recce laps mm-hmm. rather than just the one sighting lap so they got a few laps before you know lining up on the grid to check out the condition so well, you can do right.
0: that you can do that with your sighting laps there, there's it's, no rule that says that yeah. you're not allowed to come back to the pits ride through the pits and go do another lap you there is a time frame of when pit lane opens to when pit lane closes and within that time frame as long as you exit the pit
1: before it closes you can go take your grid spot without problem yeah i mean but anyway the point is that they did give them a couple of laps in those conditions immediately prior to the race so okay fair enough but i mean what's the difference between 14 and 21 i think it was purely done just on the time basis so they didn't have to disrupt the schedule but again it's although you it won't always be consistently wet through a day but had they had the morning warm-up they would have had the opportunity then to get their settings a little bit figured out on the hop you know for the wet conditions but I just thought it was a bit bizarre to do it and what I particularly don't like about it and I had I've had this at race meetings before unless things are obviously very very dangerous and I'm thinking of Silverstone a few years ago where they had the water mm. which wouldn't disperse from the track in it so it was dangerous they obviously couldn't run but if you're a fan and you've paid, you know, the thick end of however many pesos or dollars or euros or whatever it is to sit in the stands all day, you know, you don't want to see races being shortened just because of timing issues. I mean, it really kind of short changes people, I think. Here's my thing. You still put the
0: riders on the bus and rode them around the track. The time yeah. that it took for that, to do that, you could have easily put in a 10 minute wet session for the Moto2 guys roll them onto the grid at that point, give them five to 10 minutes to make some adjustments to their bikes and had a full 21 lap race. Yeah. Because we have to give more to the fans. So we're going to put the riders on a bus. What what looked like a double decker London bus to me Mm. and ride them around that track. No, I'm sorry. This is no disrespect to Argentina, but there are only like two sections that actually have grandstands there the, there's a whole other big distance of that track that there's no one around it other than corner workers. Yeah. And, and quite honestly, code is the same way when, when, you know, it's the same thing. There's only a certain spots that have grandstands. So I, that whole thing, that was a Simon Patterson thing. If you have, don't follow him on Twitter, you should, he was like, this is ridiculous. You shorten a race to put guys on a bus to ride them around on a wet track, just so that they can say that they gave something to the fans well, the fans came to see a race. Just so happens that race is 21 laps. Yeah, I, I'm I'm beside myself with that. To be
1: honest with you, and again, I think we've all been well. If you're if you pay your money to go to the event, when they announced the whole shakeup to the weekend format, whenever it was uh, last summer my distinct understanding at the time was that there was going to be much more access to the riders. So I assumed what was going to happen was they were going to have some sort of a open up the pit lane kind of deal. And you could get to meet your riders, get some signed, you know, posters and whatever, but just ch- chuck them in on the bus, which nobody gets to see hardly. It's just rubbish. I don't know. I if Jim, off is... you go. No, no, no. <laughs> I all, only, because what you said here
0: relates to coda in my going to coda. Mm -hmm. Okay. I do not know if this is true at every round. I only know it to be true at Coda. The access you're talking about was offered by Coda. As long as you paid 20 bucks and it was limited to like a hundred people on Saturday and 150 people on Sunday. And I couldn't get tickets because it had already been gone. Mm. So you, the Saturday was supposed to be, MotoGP, Moto2 and Moto3 riders. Sunday was MotoGP stars only. And you were able to then go through and meet, get a selfie, all that good stuff. But I have to pay for it? Yeah,
1: just an excuse to rinse people again. You say you want to do something for the fans.
0: Yeah. I I, I mean, that
1: logic is not working for me. Sorry. Yeah. Well, it's just taking advantage of people. And I mean, I I, obviously I get, you know, if you've got, well, many races would dream of having 100,000 fans in. Let's say you've got 50,000 fans in and all of those guys want to sort of trundle through the pit lane. Clearly that isn't going to be possible. So for me, you know, we know that it's a bit of a kind of ivory tower, the whole MotoGP thing. It's been getting more and more like that. And we've moaned about it. I, I don't know what the solution is, but the bus thing in place of having the morning warm-ups is not a good trade good idea but again the execution of it isn't working and i think you know we lost laps then from the motor 2 race which wouldn't have happened if they'd had the warm-up so i think this is an area that perhaps Dorna might want to go back and have a look at whether they need to think about some further changes there a bit like this old debate sorry i'm going off a tangent but the debate around the sprint race i'm going to call it a race because it's a race the sprint race and whether that should count for grid positions for the main race that's another maybe not for now but that's another interesting thing which is causing quite a lot of debate on both sides of the argument and is another tweak that they could introduce although you might argue that they don't need to change it at the minute because the sprint is going okay but you know it's another interesting one to have a chat about at some point i think we need to try to see if we can get
0: maddie to come back and talk about these things at the, at the summer break i think it'd be really good to get her
1: perspective on it as a marketing yeah. person i think it'd yeah, be well, brilliant so I won't be letting the cat too far out of the bag but i'm due to be speaking to matt burt oh, in the excellent. week following circuit of the americas so that for people that have the dawna feed they'll know who matt burt yeah. is he's one of the main or the main anchor really uh, on dawna's live online coverage uh and so we were going to talk pre-season, but the schedule got a bit tricky and his wife had COVID, I think. So we decided to chat after Cota because we'll have three sprints and three of the new weekend formats to to fall back on as some discussion points. So if anybody has any questions, polite questions that they would like me to ask Tim Matt Burt, because he works at Dorner, so he'll only be able to go so far in terms of his opinions, I guess, um, which is fair enough. But, you know, we can ask him some, a couple of searching questions around the format because it's good. It's not perfect. And I'd be interested to know some areas that he think it could be tweaked a little bit to be improved. So, yeah, if people have some specific questions, let me know. Cool. Send it to motopod at motopodcast.com
0: and put questions as a subject line so we can easily do it. Yeah. Third. Dissemin- disseminate them. Yeah. All right. Let's try to get through Moto2. It was not the greatest of races. But, uh, yeah, this is us- not going to take long. No, this is not. <laughs> this is not taking long here. Uh, let's see. Um, the light goes green, uh, Lopez, Canette, and, and Chantra are all going good. Uh, Acosta is around the outside, but it's wet. So he doesn't have the feel or something to that effect. He is going backwards. It winds up becoming Canet, Dixon and Gonzalez at the beginning. Uh, Acosta was way too cautious in what he was doing at the beginning. Uh, he was, literally down somewhere around P18. Um, Dixon was leading for a while. New, new dad, new dad, Scott yep. Dixon. Um, congratulations, sir. Uh, Summer Rose, a nice daughter. Great name. Very. Scott, Jim, Sorry. you just said Scott Dixon. He's, isn't he an IndyCar Sorry. driver? Yeah. He's an Aussie too, which is really bad. So that, <laughs> wow. Okay. No, I'm yeah, not congrac- going to that. I'm, I'm congrac- not Congratulations
1: that from Motopod to Jake and Sarah Dixon though on Dude, the birth that's of That's what their, I think I was thinking. Daughter. Yeah. 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 Summer
0: Rose. <laughs> So Dixon goes to the front. Lopez goes with him, but Canette now gets a double long lap penalty because he jumped the start or two times the lap of inconvenience. And it was blatant. You didn't need... It wasn't by a whisker. It was was, a jump start. It was gone. So Acosta down to 18. Lopez was then pulling away. Um, Arboluno worked his way steadily through to become second. He went past Dixon... And um, he was bringing um, Darren Bender with him. I had to think about which Bender it was for a second. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, So uh, after, the, after the penalties, Kinnett wound up being back at fourth because each time he dropped off, he would simply just go right back past the same guys that he had passed before. It was just like, you swear, you watched an instant
1: replay of the first one because it looked exactly the same. Oh, no, it's just, a peculiarity of the way the long lap is at that track in Argentina, but and it has to be said that Aaron Kennett really nailed both of those Mm. long laps. Nobody could have got around there any quicker, I don't think. No. But but coming off the long lap gave him such a speed slingshot that, you know, he had a massive advantage really, didn't he? I think Gonzalez, I think he overtook him virtually exactly the same on both occasions of doing the long lap, if I'm not mistaken, Mm -hmm. which I might be, but... It kind of felt as if it was almost a better line coming out into that turn. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh Arberlin was trying to get past Lopez, but he just can't make it stick. He's trying, he's trying, he's trying, he's trying. He just can't seem to get it to work. All of a sudden, Acosta finds pace. He was running like 152s, which was faster than the guys out front. And I, I do not know this for certain. I don't know if maybe... Some of the guys were on, like, say, a medium Dunlap rain and Acosta had chosen hard reigns. I, I don't know, but it seemed like whatever was required to go fast, Acosta suddenly magically found it and took off. And so he was sort of leading the charge back through the pack. So I'm one eye kind of watching where Acosta's going to be, and one trying to figure out if Arbolina is going to get by Lopez. Lopez makes it easy. He just goes wide at turn five and allows Ar- Arbolina to go by, and then Dixon is now third. So a shout out then to uh, Sergio Garcia, who started 28th. He had a long lap penalty and was screaming, came screaming through the pack the whole time, which was amazing to watch. It was a, I mean, a rookie in the rain on a motor T-bike, doing really, really well. And the race ended as Arbolino winning, Lopez was second, Dixon was third, Canette and uh, there Acosta, for reference point, was in 12th. I think Lopez used up his tires. I really think he he maybe had a soft front, something like that, or was just pushing too hard on the front, or the Bosca Cora maybe uh chassis is a little harder on tires. Like I think that they can put energy into the tires, which will warm them up, which is great for slicks, not so great for you know, a rain, especially if it was like a soft rain. And again, I don't know if Dunlap has a soft rain or if it's just, hey, here is a rain tire
1: promoter mm. too. But well, that's, uh, that's the race promoter too, George. Uh, and Lopez, I don't know if you noticed it, but he clearly had some different lines that he was running, which mm. presumably was more to do with the way that that bike needs to be worked, whether yeah. that's wet versus dry specific, I don't know. But, but it was certainly seemed quite pronounced. It looked like he was making mistakes. And although he did make a mistake that let Arbelino through in the end, he was very clearly running quite wide sweeping lines for a lot of the turns on purpose, as far as I could tell. Oh, yeah, definitely. The Bossa is a
0: a old school very arc big sweeps classic road racing style of chassis it's yeah. not a point and squirt shoot kind of chassis that the calyx is to some extent yeah definitely so, it's very different to see but again you only have what two or four bosca cores and you know data is tough to come by
1: there's yeah how about Trying to think now. If a was least there was last year, but I'm there's, not sure if there is yeah. this year. I don't but know. Ald, Alderger finished quite a long way down, didn't he? I think he yeah, was. Think he did. Was he in the points or just on the fringe of the points? So he was pretty absent, really, as compared with his teammate. But no, I mean, great ride from Tony Arbelino. Well done, Martin Darlington he predicted mm. uh, that I would win that race uh the standout for me though as you've already pointed out Jim is Sergio Garcia oh, yeah I mean mm-hmm. there is the very very rare example of a moto 3 rider and a good moto 3 rider at that who has immediately made the transition and is making it look not easy but it, clearly he can ride that bike where many many people that come across highly talented from Moto 3 just never ever make it work and as a reference point I'll give you Lorenzo della Porta who whether he finished or not, I don't know, but he certainly didn't feature much in the race. So a Moto 3 world champion from a few years ago. So Garcia is looking outstanding on that bike. And it'll be there's obviously going to be a little bit of a rivalry between him and uh Guevara when he comes back from injury, because we haven't really seen what Ethan Guevara can do on a Moto 2 bike just yet. And so the jury's out on that one. But the the thing I wanted to just mention, and I'm guessing you didn't see this, I think it was in he won garcia had a big crash we never saw the crash but his crash helmet basically a huge chunk was split off the back of it really now i don't i can't off the top of my head uh, sorry for the pun i can't think which brand of helmet he runs and i wouldn't be maligning the brand you know because we didn't see what happened in the crash but it was yeah really weird to see a big chunk off of his crash helmet i don't think i've ever seen that before Hmm. Apart from crashes, which have, you know, been, you know, really, really serious in terms of outcome. Hmm. So I haven't sort of seen or read anything more about it. So I don't know if anybody else has and can fill us in a little bit as to whether there was any report in terms of what the crash was, how it happened. He got a penalty for it, though, because I think he served a long lap, didn't he? Did you cover that? in the uh, race, Yes,
0: in I, I did make mention that he had, he had started 28th, was, had a long lap penalty
1: and was still riding to the front. Uh, so the long lap was uh, a penalty that he was given as a result of that crash but we didn't see what happened so yeah i'm a little bit uh, unsure on that one but anyway the point is that garcia is doing a uh, a fine job uh, yep. really and a bit of a disappointment for your american racing team really both bikes retired uh-huh. quite early didn't they but green shoots of progress at least for sean Dillon kelly getting through to q2 so i mean you've got to take the positives where you find them haven't you
0: yeah you gotta find the positive where it is i i you know, it was disappointing. He retired. Um, Skinner retired. Both bikes were out. Yeah. So that was that was disappointing for you Brits as well, right? So, I mean, it's
1: yeah. Whether it was a, I mean, again, I don't know why they retired, but they both retired within a couple of laps of each other. So whether yeah. it was a, a can you know a common problem that they both had due to yeah. the conditions, or, who knows? But um, yeah, a little bit disappointing. But anyway, I'm sure they'll bounce back. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully
0: it's a springboard moving forward yeah Uh, you know
1: there was we
0: should mention that now arbolino leads the world championship yes it you know this is going to shape up to be probably pretty good i think we still these first three races are are crazy i think because no one's really got it all set in stone we get to europe we get back to familiar territory
1: this is gonna get good i think i hope yeah i Currently, we've got Arbelino, Canet, Acosta, Dixon and Salach. They're the top five in the championship. Obviously, the points are closed because we've only had two rounds. But mm-hmm. um, if anybody, well, again, I predicted Acosta to win that race, which might well have happened had it been dry and sunny, but we'll never know. Yeah. It didn't, certainly didn't have a very good race in the damp conditions, did he? So mm. anyway, it keeps the championship tight. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. Let's go to the sprint yep. race. Yes, it's a race. It's a race. I don't care what you're You're saying. paying points for it, You have a podium. You're It's a race. Okay, yeah. fine. You don't get your bonus payments this year, but it's still a race. Yeah,
0: okay. <laughs> so from the wet qualifying session where everybody kind of had to um, go to a slick at the end, the people who were on slicks at the end were the ones who were fast. Alex Marquez got his first pole position in MotoGP with the Ducati. So he was on pole for the start of the race at the start he led besecchi away and then marini was behind him brad bender had the start of a lifetime he was 22 on the grid
1: i think 20 20 21 22 on the grid when he started uh i did write it down somewhere i hold that but i don't I, think I did, there were 22 I bikes i don't think there were 22 bikes on the grid to be honest because he started so close injured, to the he dead was, last. He was pretty well towards the back. Anyway, that's the key point. Oh, so 15th.
0: Point. Yeah. 15th. I have it hear my notes. 15th.
1: Okay. So Bender went
0: from 15th to 4th in about three or four corners.
1: Yeah.
0: And he, his first luck turn was impressive. He went down the inside. Everyone sort of went in too late, too hard, maybe. And because, you know, uh, I don't think anybody was really too sure. It was a dry race. It was on slicks. And I don't know. If it's all those fortune favors the brave kind of things again, like we've seen Vendor do where it's kind of iffy and he somehow magically makes slicks work, but he was on the inside, held the inside, and voila, he winds up in fourth. Uh, then Morbidelli was showing all kinds of speed on the Yamaha. Amazingly, he's at the front. Like, okay. Do what you want to this? just say that again,
1: Jim? Okay, Let's just... Morbidelli
0: was at the front. I didn't stutter. I didn't. It really happened,
1: people, I swear. Honestly, go watch the race. Is, <laughs> it is, it yam- worth just, is this a good timeout moment at which to say, sure. how the hell or what the hell happened to Morbidelli this weekend? Is it because he has great feel on a slippy track? Because it is slippery, that track, they say, even in the dry. So because, you know, he and Quattro basically switched positions didn't they this whole weekend in oh, terms yeah. of their comfort level I mean Patro did all right in terms of the final results I suppose compared to how things had looked but if you're Yamaha you're saying what the hell is going on with Morbidelli?" aren't you really I mean the proof of the pudding will be at Kota if, yes. if it's dry warm usual conditions in Texas and he's back to where we've been seeing him up until now then you know that Argentina was just purely down to conditions that suit him and his feel, yeah. and that Yamaha have got problems with the bike. I mean, that's the key point that comes out of this.
0: It wasn't it wasn't like Matt Bird or Simon Crafar saying that like he'd spent a bunch of time at the ranch with Rossi and they were working on his mental game?
1: Well, I think Rossi's been doing everything, and the VR46 camp overall has been doing everything they possibly can to help Morbidelli, yeah. yeah. Um, but you can't you know what's the british saying one swallow doesn't make a summer so this has to be now the rejuvenated performance that he chose week in week out really doesn't it so it'll be very interesting to see how he goes when they arrive down in uh, in austin yeah i'm looking forward to seeing it yeah
0: so mir falls down at turn seven i think he got a little bit of help he kind of got nudged a little i don't know by who we don't really have good video of it uh, the best is from another bike accelerating away from the turn that he fought in turn seven, but mirror was in down. I think he was later to be declared unfit for the race on Sunday. Um, potential concussion thing. I think with that one, no, never was. I never found a good explanation for why he was not partaking. Mm. Other than well, he's on a Honda and he really wants to be riding on a Honda. Well, I, the-
1: I read, I think that he damaged, something in his neck a little bit, not in a mm-hmm. way that's going to be long-term problematical, but sort of like it Bender. was too <laughs> risky. Yeah. Far too risky for him to come out. And if he had a, because there weren't great onboards, but there was one rear facing camera that I saw and mm-hmm. which showed him flicking himself off and he came down pretty much vertically on his head. So mm. hence, you know, the no show the following day, which was totally understandable. Sure. Uh, Bender would worked his way to
0: third uh Vinales goes by Bezecchi. there was some bumping and some banging going on there that was that was some elbows out and you're thinking well hey here comes the Aprilia's right because they were amazing here la- the last time we raced here last year right uh Pecco then was a cool head despite all the chaos happening around him he was just steady I'm here not really in trouble feeling things out I'm going to let this settle I got a really long straightaway and really good breaks and I'm going to go buy people. That's the feel that I had that Ben Yaya sort of had in his mind. Like this is what I'm going to do. And Uh, what we've come to expect. It's sort of what we come to expect, especially given his last few races of of the year, and how he was, how was there? Bender would go by at turn 11. So it was Bender, Morbidelli and Alex Marquez. And then Alex and Peko start banging bars. They go at it for a couple of turns. Well, as they try, as uh, Peco then tries to get through to get to second, he does eventually. Marini was third. So the VR46 bike's looking good, right? At that point, uh, see, there were passes everywhere at this point. Then I think everybody was going by everybody somewhere, somewhere along the way for quite some time, but Bender was inching away as the race wore on. Marini got by Morbidelli, then Aleish uh, went down at turn nine. I don't know if that was a field thing, just a tuck, uh, a little offline, dirty, wet, uh, and tucked it, went down. Buzeki then uh, just picks up Morbidelli and goes by. I mean, that was a that, – that, again, if if the definition of drop one position was, was defined by what happened in the Moto3 race – that sprint race with that move deserved to have a drop one place position. Again, mm-hmm. stewarding consistency is completely out of whack uh, by wide margins. bazeki then got by Marini. And the question was, could Bozeki catch Bender? Because Bender was gone, but could he catch him? But Buzeki was definitely faster. I think he was like seven tenths a lap quicker than what Bender was going. But uh, at the last lap, he was definitely on Binder, but Binder rode an incredible last lap, defended properly, made a wide bike when he needed it. So Binder wins the sprint with Bezecchi and Marini. So it was a KTM and the two VR46 Mooning Ducatis. It was a good. It was a good little sprint race. Good I race. have warmed up to. The, I have warmed up to the sprint. Um, I do think that after a while, this is going to calm down. I think right now it's just chaos because nobody really knows. And you've also created chaos because of the rain and the dry, the rain, the wet, the dry. I th- Nobody really had a feel for it. So everybody was sort of all over the place and setups. Let's see what happens in Texas because the weather is going to be good. I've looked at the long range forecast. We're talking 85 degrees each day. So it's going to be cool. Well, one of the things that I didn't write to you guys, to you and Martin, <laughs> the little gym bits that I had. Was I wonder if we're gonna to start to see more track records broken in MotoGP because they're qualifying as earlier in the day now with a cooler track. Good question. Yeah. I, I don't know. I we did it port a mile, but I could see. but again, as Martin correctly states, everybody was there, everybody had a setup, Everybody was gonna go quick. Right? You give these guys yeah. enough time, they're gonna go quick at a track. Yeah. We got to the we got to a very disrupted uh not the normal type weekend we think coda probably going to be the first normal weekend and with that i've just been thinking that with that qualifying earlier in the day because they've taken the place of when moto three qualifies because they've got to you know get ready for the sprint yeah and i'm like man that's the 11 o'clock in the morning still cool
1: it's a sweet spot in it
0: Yeah. yeah it's a sweet spot so interesting. We'll see.
1: Let's keep our yeah, eye be on interesting that. To, yeah. It'd be interesting to see what the, well, assuming that they break the previous poll, you know, pole record. Sure. So I'm pretty sure they will do. Cause I mean, the bikes have moved on a mm-hmm. lot in the last year with aero and stuff, but yeah, good point. Yeah. I'm, one of the things I forgot to mention, mm. I think I might've thought about it, but I had gotten
0: back to the campsite and the internet was spotty and so cell service and I didn't, wasn't able to get that thought <laughs> down or, I got busy just sitting watching the river go by. <laughs> Either way. Oh, the race on Sunday. Shall we go to the race on Sunday, Rich?
1: Yeah, the only thing okay. I want to say about the sure. sprint, Jim, did you notice that somehow, and I'm not quite sure who he contacted, but is ran most of the race, missing one of his huge front wings. Because you know they, you, you know the Aprilias have kind of like the moustache. Sure. Uh I did see something at the
0: beginning when biz with, with no, I think I'm getting confused between races. I did not realize that in the sprint race that he was riding with mostly
1: uh, one wing missing on the front. I did not Yeah, know, and I, I one, know two, that. three, four, five. So I think he finished seventh in the sprint, which was quite a good result given how badly balanced that bike would have been missing one whole half of that because it has that kind of handlebar mustache kind mm-hmm. of weird, huge front wing on both sides and definitely lost half of it. it was, I think it might have been up against Zarco possibly, but could be wrong. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that was quite good. Yeah, but otherwise, it was an entertaining sprint, as you say, but mainly down to heroics from Binder on the first lap, (laughs) which I was trying to think if anybody else had done anything quite as spectacular. And the only one I could think of was Moto2, Mark Marquez. I think it was in Valencia. He got a penalty and was sent to the back of the grid, and I think it might have been wet. And same sort of thing. He just cut through the field on the first couple of laps like they were just stuck in second. I mean, it was just ridiculous. That was good, classic. Mark Marquez didn't take anybody out, I don't think, on his way through. But yeah, Binder was just, I mean, he, when the lights go green, he is just sensational, isn't he? He was, very much so.
0: He's a Saturday man, as they said, right? Yeah, he is now. He is now. Oh, this is going to be wild. Uh, The MotoGP race on Sunday was a wet race. And this one doesn't have the drama of the sprint for sure. Because Bazeki jumped out to the lead. Bender crashed right away at turn, turn five. He had a little help there from Vinales. He did get a bump. Again, hey, wait a minute here. Here's a bump. Vinales doesn't get a penalty. And this is not as bad as Sasaki.
1: <laughs> Just, no. Oh, I could, keep, I could harp on this all day long. But the, I, well, the most we, egregious <laughs> uh, one is about to come up, which I'm sure is in your notes in terms of somebody uh, getting taken uh, down without sanction. Uh, which one maybe are you... Uh, I, it was early in the race. I haven't put what lap it was, but Nakagami did a repeat oh, of his Barcelona trick last year and took Quateraro out. Um, yeah, I, well, that he, wasn't worthy of an offen- of a penalty either.
0: Yeah, well, he just stood Quatraro up, and Quateraro was in way, way wide. I did not. I had not really. I did have it that Quatraro was nerfed to the outside uh, there because that's sort of again, like the next thing that kind of happened. No, no
1: penalty for that. Yeah, no, the no penalty there either.
0: again. If the definition of, of drop one position is the Moto3 race, the, this deserved one, didn't get it. yeah. So, Quattroiro would then dally around at the back of the field for the whole rest of it. Bezecchi was just pulling away. He was pulling away from Alex Marquez and Ben Yaya. Renz was up to fifth. He was the best best Honda, and quite honestly. There was only one other Honda in the race besides him. Mm-hmm. But Renz, I thought, was running a very good race, showing the potential that I think he has to ride on that machine. So I don't know if we want to talk about this, but we oh, let's save it to the end. We'll save that one to the end. Um, uh, da, da, da. So Renz was there. Peko then got by Alex, and that was a really smooth move at turn 13. Very confident on the brakes. Very late. Very Peko, right? Very world champion. He yep. was definitely right there. And then Peko immediately crashed at turn 13 too. Lack of concentration. Momentarily, momentarily laps caused him to just marginally squeeze a little too much on the front, and down he went. As Rossi would say, that was the fault of the weight of the number one on your bike, which is something we hadn't really talked about. Um, Pecco is actually running at the number one on his bike, which we haven't seen that since, I was going to say stoner.
1: I think it was stoner, stoner actually. Stoner or yeah, Nicky on, on the Honda. Yeah, I think um, it might have been stoner, stoner on the Honda that year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's always
0: been Rossi's 46, Lorenzo's 99, um, Marquez is 93 <laughs> yeah. went blank there for a second, which I, yeah, I don't know why, I don't know how I feel about that. I get it. The number is a brand and it's a marketing tool. So why would you want to change it? But Pekka did get on him, yeah.
1: Right. I mean, in fairness, if you look at it closely enough, it's the number one, but it's still got a little 63 embedded yes. within the sort of the font, if that's the right term. Yeah. So, yeah, but I like, I, don't think they should be forced to run number one, but I think it's a shame when they don't. I must say, even mm. though I get the whole branding. And mm. do you remember years ago,
0: like in the like in the late '80s, early part of the '90s, your number was where you finished in the World Championship the prior year, yeah. which I always thought was cool because then you knew where everybody had had, had been, or yeah. at least the top ten guys had to have it that way. I think then maybe there was some whatever. I don't remember mm. how
1: they did. People who were like rookies or people who didn't ride, yeah, different previously. kind of background color kind of on the number. You know, the plate with the number. I think they used to sort of do that, that as was well the eighties, I think it was differentiating. Like, yeah,
0: Moto or Moto 2. Uh 250s had a green background with white numbers, I believe. And Moto or 125s might have had a red background with a white number. And then I think you had like black on white on the five hundreds at the time, maybe. I don't know. That's memories. Memory gives me that, but <laughs> Anyway, my my mind's uh, my mind's old. Uh, where were we? oh? So Simon Crafer then told us that uh, the the footpeg he had no right footpeg after he crashed the pick. who had crashed, and you know that's a shame because he wound up having to retire the bike at that point because you really can't ride. Or I think he may maybe didn't he trundle along? I think he sort of trundled along um, to it try was to just get just outside of the points and get just outside of points because you never know yeah. one point could be crucial in this year's championship. But uh, along the way, Zarko suddenly found some serious pace. I mean, he just. The uh, proverbial uh, hot knife through butter comes to mind. Zarko just rode to the front like a, like a madman. I mean, his pace was just incredible. And he hunted down everybody in front. He was up to fourth, and then he got uh, Morbidelli for third. Now, Morbidelli was having the race of his life on the factory Yamaha. He was there. <laughs> he, you know, he had the podium. And you just knew Zarko was going to get him. But then the question was, well, how far is he going to go? Zarco wound up running all the way up to second because he got Alex Marquez as well. So the race finished with Bezecchi winning by a landslide and a great first win for Bezecchi, a great first MotoGP win for the doctor as yeah. an owner. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic for the Mini team all around, and the VR46 Academy in general is fantastic. Zarco second on a another satellite Ducati, all right? Mm-hmm. And then Alex Marquez on a the other satellite Ducati team. So it was kind of cool. It was all the satellite teams, right? It was it was the Mooney team. It was the uh, Premac team and the Gresini team. All 2022 bikes,
1: all on the podium. And I thought that was really super cool. We really need the help of Dr. Martin Rains on this one. But I'm going to guess that that's the first time three satellite bikes have finished on the podium. I tweet to... Martin
0: Reigns real quick because I think you might be right. Cause I searched my thought and I couldn't really tell you. I mean, you could maybe call go way back to the seventies somewhere, because that was quasi I don't know, quasi factory yeah. stuff going around there. So maybe sometime in there. But there was a, there was the history of brothers taking poles back to back, Marquez, then Alex. So there's some really kind of cool history that came out of this weekend as well. So
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Do you have anything else you'd like to add about the race? Because I have one more thing to add and then now I will be done. It's um, not not particular to the race, it's just in general on MotoGP. Okay,
1: nothing particularly. I mean, well, the the only two thoughts I had really just minor things was that uh, although Banyai went down in what was a, let's say an excusable crash given the conditions, but remarkable how few incidents there were given the conditions. And some of the sort of tracking shots of Bezzecchi going in again into that turn. I'm pretty sure it's turn five, you know, yeah, that t- breaking yeah. at the, I mean, God, he was good on, the. Yeah, so much confidence and control. And you've just got to love Marco Bezzecchi, haven't you? I mean, he oh, is yeah. kind of, given what sadly happened to Marco Simoncelli, he is kind of definitely the spiritual successor yes. to Valentino Rossi in terms of his whole image and vibe and just his kind of, seemingly quite happy go i mean don't get me wrong he's a super serious racer don't be under any illusions but and he might not be quite on you know the marquez rossi kind of levels of pure talent we don't know yet but there's certainly signs that he is so uh just really great but my abiding thought in those conditions was what was poor old miguel Oliveira thinking is that back at home in portugal because those are tailor-made conditions for him and either although aprilia a really didn't have a very good weekend compared to all of our expectations, given that they won the race with Aleish last year. I think the conditions probably counted against them a bit, but I, th- I still think Oliveira would have had a very good couple of races on the aprilia in that, uh, in that particular event, but we'll never know now. Um, just a shame that he didn't get to race. So that was my thoughts, Jim. Okay. So I'm going to go back to the question from last week that I posed. Can
0: Mark Marquez win On the Kalex chassis that he's going to receive supposedly for Hareth, Is he going to be able to win on it? And, and, you know, you guys had your opinions on it. And I really started to think about this 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 week because Martin kind of stimulated it. He's like, I don't really know if it's the frame or if it's the engine or what it is. And I'm thinking, okay, let let me, you know, Martin's like, Jim can take a whack at this. Like, well, I'm Uh, going to now. (laughs) You can't can't kind of sort of throw that at me. So I've been thinking about this for, for most of the week once I finished listening to the show. Um, I believe honestly Honda has a frame problem okay uh, here's the reasoning and not to go try not to get too far in this Aerodynamics is kind of important but fundamentally you need to be able to make that motorcycle hook up out of a corner before you get in you're going fast enough for aerodynamics to take an effect Also the motorcycle has to be able to, give you a connection between throttle opening traction and where the bike is going before you can ever let the bike settle down into its dragster style. Right. So if Kalex can create a chassis for Marquez, cause we, I, I guarantee you from what we've seen in Porto mile, the Honda has enough shove to at least stay with the Ducatis at least hang on to the draft of it. Okay. Maybe mm-hmm. not all out. It's definitely probably, equal to the KTM, maybe a little superior in power to the KTM. But as they can fix that connection or make that chassis work to where it can be adjusted and Marquez can get some traction out of the corner and be able to, to, to work it and pick the throttle up earlier. Cause I, I think he does not have the ability with that bike because it's either plowing the front, which is, this is what I can't figure out. If it's either plowing the front or he has no grip at the back. One of those two things are happening. And that's why the Honda is not any good. Now, there's ways to solve that that you can move the chassis geometry around. Where's the motor in the frame? All those different things. Calyx might be looking at that from a totally, and this might be an exercise in saying, hey, look, here's our mass, i.e. the motor. This is where the center of that mass is. And Calyx is going to step back and take a shot at it and go, oh, well, we think it should be here and then put it in there. Now, say what you want. Let's leave shape shifting out of this for right now aerodynamics on the bikes are not as important. I think as what we are being led to believe. Okay. And I have a way to explain it and hopefully everything can follow me. Submarines have dive planes that are on the front and the rear of the submarine that they use to then angle for the sub to go down deeper or to go back up. Yep. Essentially that's what you have on the front of the fairings of each of these bikes is a dive plane it's like that as you and Mar were talking about banning aerodynamics and not having all that what you could do is you could say that you can only have a spot in a defined area of the bike so high up from the center line of the wheels and it can only be set at an angle so if you think about a bike coming out of the corner and it's going into a wheelie you say well maybe if that wheelie we want it to be no higher than say 20 degrees and I'm just making this up folks so you put the dive plane on at a 20-degree angle so that when the wheelie's straight up, it's flat, it'll push the bike back to the ground. So that's all the aerodynamics are really there doing. Now, we're venturing into a world of where maybe these side arrow bikes on the side, the air between the bike and the ground leaned over and fast corners maybe something. But I don't think it's as important as what we all think that it is. So, again, I think if you just get a chassis under Marquez, that's 5 to 10% better. Hopefully, it then... We'll get him to the front and he doesn't have to ride as hard to get there
1: yeah well that's interesting jim i suppose my question back to you is kind of to do with because this question or your question was very much can mark marquez win on an improved honda and i think my question is to do with mark marquez's riding style and if he gets an improved chassis let's take that as a given it strikes me when you look at the way these bikes are operating now given the amount of aerodynamics is that if we think about mark's glory years and his classic style was rear wheel several inches up in the air really massive use of the front brake and kind of controlling those crazy slides going into the turns whereas with the amount of aero that we're seeing particularly on the backs of the bikes now i mean aprilio i think even have little winglets on the swinging arm So rear braking is becoming, I think, much more of a thing in MotoGP now. So I wonder if it's not necessarily going to be all about the bike. I think Mark might have to be forced to change his riding style a little bit, because although I take your point that perhaps we're over-emphasising the importance of Aero on the chassis, I do, however, think it is forcing the riders to ride in a slightly different way i think that's why we're seeing longer bikes appearing as well just to sort of flatten out the area a little bit and keep that rear end down so i don't know what you think about that i mean it's going to be fascinating to see how this runs out through the year yeah that is a fair point to this that mark
0: may have to adapt himself somewhat yeah to get there because the rear is much more important now than the front because of the michelins if you had bridgestones where would we be, right? That was, yeah, yeah. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I'll quote Colin Edwards. You can't crash the damn thing, <laughs> right? <laughs> the front's just that good. Um, but yeah, but I do think that if you get the chassis that a little bit better so that you can maximize the traction, I think Mark can then work back to where the back end, as much as we talk about having to have front end feel, maybe he's also missing rear end feel where he can't feel what the back is doing. So, it's interesting. I I just I've just you know again been thinking about that and was, is the aerodynamics really that important? I I'm I'm still going to say no. I, I don't have a degree in aer- in aeronautics, but, but I'd love to talk to somebody who who does because I think this is a fascinating area. If anybody knows or studies aerodynamics as a thing and would be willing to talk, I would love to sit down with them because I have a ton of questions
1: for it. But yeah and as, as always with these things th- these are very nuanced and they're multi-dimensional you solve one problem you might create a different problem as we've often said and so getting the rider and the bike package and not forgetting that you've got more than one rider on that brand as well so in Honda's case they've got four riders to cater for all of whom have slightly different styles so it's a nightmare but that's what makes it so difficult <laughs> if it was easy everybody would be at the front Not that everybody can be at the front of course but um yeah yeah, so yeah, but the Mark Marcus thing is particularly interesting given his classic style and my doubts about whether that's that style translates to the modern MotoGP bike and the fact that he's effectively missed the last two years. Yeah.
0: There's a or lot of development in between. So the feel has moved and changed, that's for sure. But we we say this a lot about people who are legends of a sport. They adapt, they change, they modify, they become greater because they adapt to what has happened. Yeah. So he's 30 years old, he's still got some time left. And yeah, I think he's got some serious want to to have two more titles. One just to tie Rossi's number and two to break it. Yeah. <laughs> so I just think he's just motivated too. Just and, to just piss Rossi off. <laughs> Well, you know, think of it as you know, another side note with bikes coming good, the KTMs have come have come good, right? And so it's been – uh Simon Craver makes a comment that the bike sounds much more like a big V-twin than it had previously. If the KTMs make progress, if we see Bender and Miller at the front or very near the front this year, Pedro Acosta might be a world champion faster than we
1: think, right? Yeah. And I don't know if you picked up on this. I'm trying to think if it was at the very end of the Portimao. It might have even been kind of between Friday and Saturday of the Portimao round one. KTM was still rewriting the software for mm-hmm. the, the engine management maps and stuff, and and they suddenly, I don't know if it was luck or judgment or just whatever, but they hit a sweet spot with it on the Saturday, which is when Miller suddenly appeared from nowhere, completely against expectations. But that must be linked to the fact that that bike, or that engine rather is quite a bit different now i haven't heard it firsthand. you're going to hear it before yeah. i do uh because you're going to be at the next round but I, I'll be interested. I am looking very forward to hearing the ktms go by the, even as recently as last year the ktm was the one bike that was quite distinguishable from everything else which has become a bit of a kind of a flat you know normal noise between most of the engines out there and like it used to be in the olden days but the ktm was already sounding a bit different so i can't wait to hear it you know for myself as well so yeah interesting very all right folks i think we're gonna leave it there because
0: uh coda is in two weeks enjoy the weekend enjoy easter everybody um it is the holiday it is the holiday uh for me i will be at coda if anybody wants to see me or whatever uh send something to the www. Or send to motopod at motopodcast.com sorry there or hit me up on twitter at moto rgv on instagram and twitter i will try very hard to meet up with anybody have a chat And uh, hopefully we'll see some of you there. Until then, I want you all to ride safe.
1: Just one last thing from me, Jim, just before I go. yep. I don't know what I'll do next week as regards BSB round one at Silverstone. We'll see how things go. And the very last thing to say was that the Isle of Man is a self-governing crown dependency. That is officially what it is. Okay, (laughs) now we know. Make of that what you will. So uh, with that being said, yeah, I'll say goodbye as well. So we'll see you next time. Cheers, everyone. Cheers.